Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. This is part two of a three-part series about Christians and the paranormal. The discussion in this podcast concerns ghosts, hauntings, and other paranormal phenomenon. And now let's join the conversation. Well, with Halloween right around the corner, we've been talking about some paranormal-related issues. Last week, we talked about aliens, space aliens, UFOs and such. Next week, we're going to be talking about Halloween itself. But today, we're going to talk about ghosts and haunted houses and explore this, obviously, from a biblical perspective, a Christian perspective. And we're going to talk about this now with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. Guys, how are you today? Very good, Bob. Good. Doing well. Always good talking with you. All right. Let me ask you directly. Have any of you guys ever seen or experienced oh, ghosts, haunted houses, the poltergeists, the, all that kind of stuff that we hear about? Any of you guys ever seen and experienced that stuff? Nope. Uh, I'll just jump in, Bob. This is Neil. I I did have a weird experience I can tell you about later, but as far as seeing something, like some kind of an apparition or – you know, sort of a hazy, cloudy figure that's floating in the air. I've never seen anything like that personally. So maybe we can get into some of my experiences later. I know you've got mm-hmm. some things to share, but no, I haven't seen any ghosts that I'm aware of. All right. John, Roger, any uh, any ghost busting out there you guys been doing? <laughs> Not a... No, none for me. I'm, uh, I'm, I got the popcorn popped, and I'm ready to have this oh, conversation. Man. Because, I mean, this is just not me. Well, I but, guess but I'm, neither. I'm yeah. fascinated with it, though, because let's face it, as Christians, we live in a in a sinful, fallen world. So I do believe in the presence of evil. There's no question about it. Sure. And dark forces. I've just not seen it manifested the way we're talking about. Well, I, I guess I get to be the mutant freak here because I have some... I have some stories. It's part of my life. It's part of my personal testimony, and I've shared this before in speaking engagements and in talking about spiritual warfare and demonic attack and, and such. And my listeners in Detroit are familiar with some of this, but our podcast audience may not be. And so I thought what I would do is to kick off this discussion on ghosts is take a few minutes and just kind of lay out on the table – some examples of the kind of things that I went through growing up. Uh, and so this is going to take several minutes, but I kind of want to lay this out because I want to get some examples out on the table so that you guys know exactly the, the kind of things that I experienced. And then after I lay this out, let's just talk about it openly. And as Christians, how do we process stuff like this? Uh, for me, it all, it all started the first memories that I have of this uh, was when I was young, probably about five years old or so, and my brother and I, my brother is about a year younger than me, uh, we'd be laying in bed at night upstairs, and it all started this one night when at the bottom of the stairs, we heard what sounded like somebody crumpling paper, and it just kind of, it, it literally sounded like this, at the bottom of the stairs, and then what would happen is, it would get louder, and you could hear it coming up the stairs, just louder and louder and louder. And we could, we, do you hear that? Yeah, I hear that. Do you hear that? Yeah. And then it gets to the top of the stairs, and then it would come inside the door and basically to the foot of our beds. And then, you know, we'd be all shaking and crying under the blankets and stuff. And then this would happen off and on uh, on various nights. And, of course, our parents didn't believe us. It's like, okay, fine. Uh, but then we started seeing more and more things like that. We would both actually see the same thing. We uh, Across the hall upstairs in the bedroom – 
was a storage room, and the storage room was kept locked, and it was locked from the inside. You could only unlock it from the outside with a key, and our parents had the key. It would be late at night. We'd be looking over there, and we would see the door handle jiggling, and then we would hear a pop, and then the door handle would turn. We would watch it with our own eyes, and then the door would open all the way, and then it would slam shut. And then we'd uh, run and get our parents, and they'd go in. They'd come upstairs, and sure enough, the door is locked, and it's locked from the inside. And they get their key out, and they go in there, and there's nobody in the room, you know. And just, but we would see stuff like that on a regular basis, and try to convince our parents it was true. Well, I experience that kind of stuff, and just a bunch of examples of that consistently throughout my entire childhood. And then there was a time I was 12 years old, and I was in Columbus. That's why I grew up, Columbus, Ohio, and and so. I was walking down the alley in Columbus, Ohio, off of Hampton Road with my girlfriend, Cheryl. To whatever extent a 12-year-old can have a girlfriend. But we're walking, holding hands, and we're with her little sister, Sharon. And the three of us are walking down this alley. And this guy steps out in front of us. And I remember him vividly. He was really tall, over six feet tall, slightly stocky build, balding head. And he had his hands in his pockets, and he steps right in front of us. And he says, get out of here. And I was a little punk. And I was like, this is a public alley. I can walk where I want to. And he said, I said, get out of here. And he's just really scary standing right in front of us. And Cheryl, she says, let's just get out of here. So we turn around and we start walking back. And as we're walking the other way, I look back and the guy's just standing there with his hands in his pockets. And Cheryl's like, wow, that guy's creepy. I look back and now he's walking towards us. And so we start running. And as we're running down the alley, I look back, and he's still walking toward us, but he's getting further and further away. And he's probably a good you know, 50, 60 yards behind us now. And I look back, and I turn back around looking forward as we're running and run into somebody. I was like, oh, my goodness. And we back up, and we look up, and it's him. And he says, I thought I told you to get out of here. Now, uh, so instantly, in a millisecond, he went from 50 yards behind us to directly in front of us. Now, Cheryl... She screamed bloody murder because she, she'd never seen anything like this. And she was so hysterical, and I'm trying to calm her down. We took off running, and I'm trying to let her know, you know, this isn't that freakish to me because I see and experience stuff like this all the time. But she'd never seen anything like this before. Needless to say, she broke up with me. Uh, but uh, things like that, and then as I got older, it it continued. Uh, through my teenage years, I started getting into ESP and mind reading and, and things along those lines. Uh, and that's a whole separate subject. I know one of these days we'll do a podcast on psychics and mind reading and ESP and as Christians, how we understand that. Uh, but there was a night uh, as a teenager, I'm laying in my bed. I was 18 years old and laying in bed at night. And I had just gone to bed and uh, I opened up my eyes and there's this set of hands in front of my face, about 12 inches away from my face. But the hands weren't normal. They were three-dimensional hands, but they were black, solid black. But the fingers were long and wavy and came to a perfect point. And they started coming down closer to my face. And I closed my eyes thinking, oh, no, this thing's going to grab me in the neck, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Nothing ended up happening. Uh, But stuff like that continued. Now, I got saved. I accepted the Lord, but I was a baby Christian. I accepted the Lord when I was 19. But for the next few years, this kind of stuff continued. And I was a pretty immature Christian. I didn't really understand the, you know, declaring in Jesus' name and binding the enemy and such. 
I just got so used to living with stuff like this that every place I lived, every place I worked, this kind of stuff happened. And so now I'm in my early 20s and I was working as a manager in a Brown Derby restaurant in Ohio. And I had probably a couple hundred employees under me and I was just a young kid, but, you know, the hotshot manager. But late at night after all of the employees would leave and I would be locked in the restaurant, that's when – Stuff would start happening again. I would see doors open and close. I'm sitting there doing paperwork in a booth, and I would look, and I would hear the creaking, and I look up and I see the door going into the kitchen, just slowly opening. I know wind can't open it because it's one of those like saloon kind of doors where you have to push it to open. Uh, and then it just foom, foom, foom would close, and I go running back in the kitchen, and I see the door going back into the banquet hall, slowly opening. And then it closes. I go run to the banquet hall. And I see the room back in the men's restroom then in the banquet hall slowly opening all the way open and then closes. And I go back in there and, of course, there's nobody in there. Uh, and stuff like this just seemed to happen more and more. I was in the liquor room taking inventory of the uh, alcohol in there and – there's a storage unit above us and just suddenly boxes just started levitating and flying around like they're in the middle of a tornado. Uh, stuff like that. I was sitting in the uh, rest or in the uh, lounge of the restaurant and working on paperwork. And I look up and I see a woman sitting there at one of the tables staring at me. She had long blonde hair. She was, had a white blouse, yellow slacks. Her elbow was on the table. Her chin was resting on her hand, and she was just looking at me. And I stared at her for about one or two seconds, and then she just disappeared before my eyes, you know, instantly. Uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, you get the idea. I could spend the next hour just giving you example after example after example of stuff like that. But the bottom line is these are the types of things that I used to see and experience throughout my entire childhood, through my teen years, and even for about four years after I was saved. Uh, they did slowly start dying down eventually, and then eventually they just completely went away. Now, that restaurant I worked at, Brown Derby, uh, apparently, and the rumor was that this restaurant was built over top of an old, ancient Indian burial ground. How true is that? You know, I don't know. But that was the legend in the area. Uh, but these are the kind of things that I used to see and experience on a regular basis. Uh, most people would look at that and say, oh, hey, I was seeing ghosts or uh, these, the restaurant was haunted. There was, it did have a reputation for being haunted, so I wasn't the only one who saw and experienced things like that. Now, as a mature Christian – I look back on this, and I don't believe for a second that I was seeing spirits of people that were dead or, or anything like that at all. Uh, this is the very same Satan and his demons, just with a whole bunch of different bag of tricks. And I think they create these manifestations to try to reinforce people's belief in ghosts and, and uh, haunted houses and things like that. But the bottom line is it is something that is reinforced with a lot of people, and they tend to believe it's true. Uh, but the bottom line is I'm not imagining this. These aren't false memories, and I've got multiple people that were with me in several of these occasions that saw the very same things, uh, although usually I was alone but not always. So let me just throw it out on the table, and Neil, I guess we'll start with you. As, as believers in Christ, 
how do we process stuff like that? What's your take on the kind of experiences that, that I had and that I know other people have said that they've had too? Gee, thanks, Bob, for making me the first guy to have to respond to this. <laughs> <laughs> Go get in a fact, meal. Yeah, That's in right. fact, you know what? I want to collect my thoughts, so let's take a break for a second. And when we come back, we can start to dig in because I'm sure you guys uh, want to get at this as well. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable, and we'll be back in just a moment. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. All right, so exactly what was going on with Bob? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, at, at one point you said you were taking inventory of the alcohol, and I wondered if there was two bottles of vodka. No, there, every, no, there was not one open bottle in the room. Okay. okay. Not one. But, but, but I, tell you what, I, do, I do remember this, though. I remember when that happened, and the boxes were just flying around, and it was so loud, and the bottles were all rattling on the wall and, and such. I remember looking in the, the opening above, because there was a storage unit above the the liquor room and there was like an opening to go up into up under there and the stuff was just flying around and I remember looking up in there and I was alone in the building so it's kind of silly to actually speak words you know but I said you let me know when you're done I'm going home and I put my clipboard down and left you know because it was like that was pretty scary for me now if that happened today, I'd be like you know something Satan I'm not falling for your tricks in the name of Jesus Christ I command you Truth is, I was just a young, immature Christian who just didn't, you know, didn't know that much. And I was just so used to seeing stuff like that that I, I didn't even really feel that much of a need to take spiritual action, if you will, in Jesus' name. Uh, but bottom okay. line, what do you do with stuff like this? Well, I don't know exactly. I do agree with the summary that you gave earlier that stuff happens and that it is explainable because there are forces of evil, and I personally believe it's demonic activity that you are experiencing, not some kind of weird human apparition or ghost, you know, like a, right. a human being come back to earth. So we can talk about all that stuff, but I'm just curious because there's, you know, you're, as much as you told us about your story, it also raises questions. So you mentioned that you were a believer. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you can attribute to why they, they stopped because I mean, you said if you saw something now, you would say be gone in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But 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 they just kind of stopped. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, there's a. I mean, there is an event that took place in in uh, in my life, and my wife is aware of it. But I don't. I tend to not tell this part of the story because it's really, really over the top. Graphic, like something you would see in an exorcist kind of movie that that is just extremely outlandish. But let's just say uh, an event happened in the middle of the night where I heard an actual audible voice in my bedroom say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you out of here. And then a really wild Amityville horror kind of event took place that actually, if it's okay with you guys, I'm not going to share, but my wife and I were there and experienced it together. And from that moment, I never saw any of those kind of things anymore. 
That's interesting. Well, I know the other guys are going to want to jump in, but let me just again say that I do believe in, you know, forces of evil, that mm-hmm. there is, uh, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I, I just think that there's a whole lot more to explore here about what actually was going on. Uh, and I, since I wasn't there, I can't, uh, by the way, I don't disclaim that you had some weird experiences, um, uh, and I bet that many people in our listening audience, maybe even Roger or John have as well. But, um, yeah, I don't have any explanation at this point, but I know what the Bible has to say about this kind of stuff. So maybe we right. can dig in when we get a well, chance. So we, let me just absolutely. go to the other guys. No, absolutely. And, and what we do want to get to what Scripture says about that in a little bit. You're absolutely right, Neil. But uh, first, I mean, so, Roger, what's what's your take on this when people like myself or others i guarantee you there's people in the audience that some of them that will say you know what i've had that same kind of stuff happen to me before uh what's your take on this yeah i i have i was really riveted just by the story you were sharing simply because of the fact that i know people who've had similar experiences and there's that that the idea that there's an image that's real so of course the image is real whether or not what was really happening was real. I mean, some, you saw things spinning around and you've heard rattles and, you know, ran into people and things of that nature. I've never had that experience. And yet, as I said at the outset, because of the, the nature of the sinful world that we are inhabiting here and the presence of evil and scripture is very clear about that. I think about Luke 11, you know, where Jesus talks about the, you know, if the demon comes to the house and, you know, you clean it up and chase him away, why wouldn't he bring seven more back? So, I mean, I'm not surprised that not only did you, get attacked, but then we're attacked once again. Um, and, I, and I'm fascinated with the fact that I, I, don't, I honestly don't think they're imagination at all. I mean, I really, I, I do believe when someone says, hey, I saw what you saw, Bob, I'm resonating with you 100%. Just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean that it wasn't real. I mean, and it wasn't real for you. It, obviously, it was real for you, you know, and you've got verifiable evidence, you know, in, in your world, too. So I commend you for sharing that story with us, if nothing more, just to kind of get this issue out on the table. Sure. And, um, and, well, and, and there's uh, the imagination factor is a very real part of this. I understand that there are people who uh, they, they their house will be settling and they hear some creaking in the house. And it's really just nothing more than the natural settling of the house or maybe a mouse in the walls. And then what happens is their imagination ends up creating something more than actually happened. You know, sometimes a nail just gets weak on the wall and the picture slides off and falls. I mean, things like that happen in the natural. And so I, I get that. Um, for myself, yeah, I've been very careful to analyze these events through my life. And I mean, I've had other people that were there. There's just, it's not a matter, matter of imagination when you're staring at a person who's looking at you and you see them three dimensionally. And then after a right. couple of seconds, they disappear as though it's something in a TV movie or something. So, I mean, there, there comes a point where it's like, okay, I'm looking at this thing levitating and flying. This is not a case of imagination. The laws of physics are being defied here, you know. Right. So, right. Uh, I mean, John, what's what's your take when you hear stories like this? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm I like I told you guys last week. I'm probably the ultimate skeptic on all of this, and, and maybe because I've Honestly, I've never experienced anything along these lines in my own life. I don't know too many people that that have. I, I mean, I guess I know a few people that have, you know, talked about different experiences that they've had. Um, I, I'm just, again, I'm I'm the ultimate skeptic. I do believe, uh, you know, Satan. I believe he's extremely, you know, powerful. God subdues him, and we, we, you know, we can talk about that in Scripture and so on. And I do believe he can 
do things and create things. And, you know, we know the demonic presence out there is very real. And uh, I think at times we, we don't give it, a, not that I want to give him the credence that he deserves, but I don't think at times we, we really look at that correctly and understand all of what's going on there. And, and, you know, in my world, you know, maybe the reason I've never experienced it is, you know, growing up in a, in a Christian home and, you know, accepting the Lord at age, you know, 14 and, uh, and not trying to set myself on a pedestal because, you know, I've definitely done, you know, numerous things wrong in my life. So I'm no, by, by no means perfect, but I've never been involved with anyone or anything that would even come close to, you know, even playing around with some of the things that are, I, I, I believe of the demonic world, Ouija boards, things like that. I mean, we were just never allowed. I mean, I was a kid growing up. We weren't even allowed to play with cards. I mean, there's so many things that, that you know, and, and I know that sounds silly, but in a way, maybe my parents, because of the way we were raised, you know, in a way protected us from some of the things, Bob, that you've experienced. And, you know, and maybe. I mean, truth is, I did get into that stuff. When I was a teenager, I played Ouija boards. And like I say, I got into kind of the whole ESP movement, if you will. And, and so there was a bunch of uh, that kind of stuff that I was getting into and fascinated with. But uh, it's almost as though I developed an interest in those things because of all the haunted and ghostly sure. and apparition things that sure. I experienced before, uh, which then begs the question, isn't this kind of a, a plausible MO, Neil, let me ask you, on the part of the devil? I mean, doesn't the, doesn't the, the devil actually have a desire and a motive to try to develop in people an interest in, in this kind of stuff? It, it seems like he would, and if he is, since we know he's the father of lies and the master of of disguise, that he would, in fact, try to create these kind of manifestations manifestations to see if he could develop an interest in people's lives in that. And so, why don't we why don't we do this, Neil? I want to have you address that as soon as we come back from the break. We're going to take a short break here. Uh, on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford broadcasting station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support. And let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing our discussion here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. Uh, so, Neil, isn't it plausible, it seems to me that it is, that the devil, the master of disguise, would manifest himself in many of these different ways to try to develop in people an interest in the paranormal as well as trying to convince them that the Bible is not true. Uh, you know, the Bible makes it clear that you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. It affords, uh, afforded a man once to die and then face judgment, okay? That uh, when someone dies, we know the account of the rich man and Lazarus, what Jesus made clear. You don't linger this earth pushing rocking chairs and rattling chains as a spirit. Uh, so if that, if the devil can convince you that that's really what happens when people die, uh, then he has succeeded in getting you to not trust the authority of God's word. Yeah, hundred percent. In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, Ephesians. Uh, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter nine, uh, in a couple of different places, refers to this. It talks about that the dead know nothing, right. and that never more it says will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So I don't believe that it's 
any person who was living who's come back to you know haunt someone else uh, or to wreak havoc on the earth. Um, but you're somebody used. I think you used the word mo. You're right. It's perfect mo because, um, well, in Second Corinthians, uh, first to false apostles and deceitful workers and people who masquerade as followers of Christ. And it says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Right. I mean, he's the master deceiver. So the, honestly, there has to be something true about what he's doing or it would be completely unbelievable. And I, I think there's several places in scripture where demons essentially were speaking truth about followers of God in order to deceive those who were desiring to truly follow God. I hope that right. makes sense. But, no, yeah. and, well, and Roger, to Neil's point there, you do see, I mean, if this is part of the MO of the devil, and to me it would make sense he would do stuff like this, you do see these you know, images that will appear of, uh, here's some ghostly apparition that appeared in some photograph that was taken in this home. And what does the ghost look like? Well, the ghost looks like some woman wearing Victorian style or Renaissance era clothing or whatever. And then sure enough, you look in the history and you find out that back in the 1700s in that very house, uh, this woman who looks very similar to that image that appears in the photograph who wore that kind of clothing was in fact murdered inside that home. Uh, to me, it just makes sense that the devil knows stuff like that and that he's going to create an image that will look like someone who had died in that home to basically cause people to see credibility in the ghost argument. Oh, absolutely. And resonating with that point and also something Neil just said, I wanted to uh, draft on that just a little bit. The idea that there are so many different names for the enemy, but I think the one that is probably the most prevalent in modern culture today is the deceiver. Mm. The fact that he will take something that looks plausible and try to use it for his own good. And this goes all the way back to the garden. Did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit? I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it's all about deception and trickery. So why wouldn't he draw on those images where someone could say, well, plausibly, I could make that case, you know, 1700s, this is the woman who lived here, here's an old photograph, so you will have a frame of reference, and now we're going to bring this to light. And so the, we have to be really wise, I mean, in terms of the deceptive mode. And I, and I back to your point, Bob, about the fact that so much of this happened in your experience when you were younger, and then eventually when you became a new Christian, and even the first couple of years there, as you grew spiritually more mature, obviously you're not going to be as deceived by those types of images. Not to say that it was trickery necessarily, because verifying and authenticating what you said and saw, but the fact that you now look at this and say, I see it for what it is, as opposed to what it appeared to me back then, I think is a huge uh, it's a huge credit to you in terms of your spiritual maturity, obviously, but it's something that the spiritually mature really need and the spiritually immature might be drawn more astray by. Right. Well, let me, John, let me ask you, the, the, the hardcore skeptic here, okay? When you see these news stories about the, the photograph that some family took and there's some ghostly apparition figure of a human being and you can clearly see the outline image that this is not just a shadow on the wall. You can see facial features and such or the whatever, the, the, the baby cam that catches some paranormal activity going on inside the baby's room. There's the crib and sure enough, you see some person standing there or walking past the crib or whatever on those camps what's your i mean when you when you look at things like that 
And this is what I'm kind of curious to get your take on, John. we got about 60 seconds to the break. Uh, do you dismiss all of those as hoaxes or imagination, or do you think that some of those photographs and some of those images actually really are genuinely reporting and recording what is really there and seen? Yeah, I know we're getting close to the end of this, this uh, first half hour, Bob, and we can get into more of this when we come back. But, you know, I guess in my mind, you know, as far as the, the ultimate skeptic, I'm probably going to tell you that I think some of those probably are real, you know, based upon some of what, you know, you guys have even been talking about, you know, Neil and Roger as well. Uh, but I will also tell you that I believe that probably a good portion of them are not real. I mean, we've got things today, you know, Photoshop and all sorts of other things that, you know, unless I'm actually there and can see how that picture was actually formed, uh, yeah, yeah, no offense, I'm just not a believer. All right, hang on a second. We're going to continue this National Crawford Roundtable podcast for the second half of the discussion. We're going to get into questions like, why are some places, though, considered to be haunted? And why do you see more of this activity in places that are, quote-unquote, haunted, the haunted hotels? Is it all demonic trickery? And how much power do demons have? What about the moving of objects and pictures falling off of walls and levitation? And does the devil have that kind of power? Can we actually really talk to the dead? What about the seances? And also, should Christians go to haunted houses for entertainment? How do we view stuff like that? So we got a lot more coming up in the second half of this discussion of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You can get it at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You can also find it online at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show in Detroit. With Halloween coming up next week, we're talking about all things ghosts and paranormal and a biblical and Christian perspective on this. And so uh, what do we do then? Gentlemen, and Roger, let me throw this to you. Some places are considered to be quote unquote haunted, the haunted hotel, their tourist attractions where a bunch of people will go there, ghost hunters and ghost chasers will go there and they'll have their little devices that, 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 uh, the needles are going crazy because there's activity there. There do seem to be photographs of these types of images taken in places that have that reputation. Uh, why do you suppose it is that there are certain hot pockets that are considered haunted places where you see a higher level of ghostly apparitions in that building, in that hotel, in that house, in that whatever? I, I don't know enough about how these things manifest themselves to be an expert on this, but I will give an, an anecdotal story for everybody else. It was real okay. for me. Um, years ago, I was a married guy. Uh, my wife and I had three children. We lived in a small condo. It was a duplex, uh, you know, side-by-side unit. And from the moment we moved in there, it was a great place to live. It was a nice neighborhood, lots of kids, families around. But it really started wreaking havoc on our marriage. And I could sense that there was something wrong. And, you know, more than just the, hey, I didn't bargain for this type of, you know, thing that some couples go through. Okay, all couples go through. <laughs> once you get married. Yeah, right. Because I think Stephen Curtis Chapman said, if we all knew what was involved in marriage, none of us would do it. Um, th- that was a whole situation for us. And one day I was talking to the uh, gal who lived next door to us, 85 years old, just a sweet Christian woman. And we were talking about the owner that we had purchased the home from. 
And she said, boy, I'm so glad that you and Jenny are here with the kids and everything because you're just so nice and so sweet. Boy, Sid, man, you should have seen what used to happen here. And I said, oh, really? Uh, what used to happen here? Because <laughs> we bought the home from a guy who was a retired state of California worker, just kind of a pudgy white Santa Claus type of guy. We didn't think anything of it. Well, he had been married and divorced and married again, and he married a woman who was from an Asian country, I want to say the Philippines or something like that. And apparently she was into all sorts of just kind of crazy, you know, what we would consider to be demonic activity in terms of having seances and all sorts of things in this condo. I'm thinking, really? Orange County, California? Here's this condo. But we had a long talk about what was going on there, so I just really felt led to start walking through the house on a regular basis and praying over every room. I mean, not that I was casting out demons, but I just said, God, if there's any sort of evil presence in this place, remove it. I'm standing up against it. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to see how things started to turn around. You know, I mean, in terms of it was really, I mean, I <laughs> this is going to sound like a colloquial phrase, but it's like in Ghostbusters when the slime hit people and turned them all that way. I mean, uh-huh. and then they got cleaned up off of it. I think that was the second Ghostbusters movie. Oh, okay. Um, it, it, it was really, I mean, it was almost that, you know, quick. You know, it, it was remarkable to see. So in terms of is a place actually haunted, I don't know that the enemy says I'm going to haunt that hotel. But with what the activity that might have been going on, you know, behind closed doors and things like that, is there a residue of evil that's still there because it was able to take residence? I'm a firm believer it is. Well, and I'll tell you what, I, my personal opinion, and Neil, I'll get your take on this. I think that the devil and his demons actually will specifically target certain areas that have a reputation for being quote-unquote haunted because – I think this is part of the devil's M.O. Hey, let me reinforce that. If I got people that are believing in in ghosts in this particular area, why don't I pull out this bag of tricks and play it in that particular location? Because all I can do is get more people to see credibility in the whole believing in ghosts issue. Yeah, and, you know, last week we were talking about UFOs and stuff. One of the points I wanted to make that I don't think anyone made, I'm, I'm, no, I know I didn't bring it up, was the tie between like people who believe in aliens and those who uh, believe in uh, Darwinism, you know, and evolution as opposed to the creation story. And fascinating if you listen to guys like uh, Ken Ham or Gary Bates or others talk about that issue because it's it's like it's a replacement kind of theology, to use that term anyway. I'm not sure it's the right term, but it's the idea that uh, we want to believe in something other than God, so we have to come up with a reason for why we exist. So henceforth, you know, Darwinism and evolution and all that. And if you can say that there was some intelligent life out there at some point that kind of seeded the earth, and I think Richard Dawkins even said that at one point, then, then that would kind of make sense. In the same way, uh, if the enemy can use what people are already inclined to believe because we've seen plenty of, you know, movies about ghosts. And obviously throughout history, there have been people who claim to have encounters with some kind of weird being or whatever. Um, then if we're kind of preconditioned to that, why wouldn't he use that as a means by which to capture attention and draw it away from the Lord? Um, I think about, you know, that one encounter where uh, that young woman was – testifying in the new testament i don't know if i can find it right away but you know she was saying hey look hey these are the prophets of god you know and and, and she was basically testifying to the truth and yet yeah she it's, was, it's act 16 yeah okay so um and, and it was like hey get out of here you're you're a, you're a demon okay mm-hmm. so demons can speak truth they can they can be heard apparently um yeah and i i just think it's you're 100 percent right that this is exactly what the devil would do with his 
MO, you know, because it was MO, um, to try to make it believable and to try to draw power or attention, at least, away from anything related to God. You think that goes to moving objects? I mean, John, what's your take on some of the physical manifestations, doors physically opening, pictures falling off of walls, things levitating, things along. I mean, in the book of Job, we see that the devil had the ability to bring a strong wind and bring down the structure that killed Job's children. So the devil does have some ability to to interact in the physical. We know in Hebrews chapter 13, angels can take on human form. If we assume mm-hmm. that demons are fallen angels, then can't rule out the possibility, I suppose, that they couldn't either take on human form or at a minimum be able to uh, manipulate physical properties here on this earth. So it seems to me yeah. they would have the power to do stuff like this. Yeah, and, and I think they would. And, and, I, and I, again, even though I'm the ultimate skeptic, you know, as I said earlier, uh, I, I think at times we – and I, please make sure that I'm, I'm careful on how I say this to everybody else that's even listening. I don't want to give the devil or Satan any more – you know, credence than he deserves, but I also right. think at times we we diminish his abilities, and at times I think we also increase his abilities. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that the devil is not omnipresent. He doesn't have the ability to be in all places at one time like God. God's the only, you know, being that has that ability. So, you know, Satan has to use other things, fallen angels, you know, etc., to, to accomplish the things that he's trying to do. So I think that's something that we also need to keep in mind. But does he have the ability to, you know, manifest certain things? You know, I believe he does. I also think... Uh, that he has the ability to, you know, he can't really, how should I say this? I don't think he's got the ability to change our minds, but I believe he can put great influence upon our minds. And I think a lot of it has to do, and this is really careful as Christians as to what we do, what we see, you know, oh, be careful little eye what you see, oh, be careful little ear what you hear. I mean, I think those things do come into play in our lives as Christians because the more we influence ourselves with things that we probably should not be doing, I believe he does have the ability then to influence our own minds and in some ways... Yeah, I don't want to say that he can warp our minds into thinking certain things, but let's let's face it, he can do a lot of different things, and I'm not 100% positive he can't make us see things that maybe aren't there and somebody else couldn't see, but that particular individual can see. I do believe in that part of it. Yeah, could very well be. I mean, you know, one of the things that's important here in all of this, and I just kind of want to throw this out on the table and get you guys' take on this as well. Uh, you're so right, John, that we don't want to, make sure to give too much credence to the enemy here because uh, Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything that the devil can do. Uh, The name of Jesus is more powerful, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Neil, maybe you can talk with us a little bit about that, about the important thing to understand is if listeners are experiencing these types of things, they don't need to cower in fear from them. They need to understand that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any kind of demonic trickery. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Infinitely more powerful, by the way, because the enemy is a created being. And while he prowls like a roaring lion, he's really just someone who can make a bunch of noise. He has no authority whatsoever over a believer. And I'm thinking about uh, Luke. Chapter 10, uh, here it is, verse 19. It says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And I just think it's important that believers remember that because we belong to God, we're safe in him. 
we are safe and secure in our relationship with him. And I think what you described earlier, Bob, you know, when you uh, had grown some as a believer and, and began to take authority over such things that you said in the name of Jesus be gone, uh, you know, that you had great wisdom in that situation because we don't need to be tormented or deceived or influenced by evil spirits. And they do exist in some form, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think right. we have freedom over that because of Christ. Well, let's so let's establish then that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know this. He's more powerful than any of the tricks that the devil can produce. Uh, these ghosts and images, these are not spirits of dead people. Scripture is very clear about this. Even yes, some people who say, you. well, yeah, but Jesus believed in ghosts because he told his disciples after he resurrected, hey, I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. Or, you know, when he walked on the water, the disciples thought that they saw a ghost or whatever. Uh, no, all that means, that doesn't mean that Jesus was giving credibility to the idea that ghosts are somehow spirits of people who have died, but that there is a belief among humans that's existed throughout humanity that uh, ghosts are something that there are images that people have seen. Jesus is acknowledging that these are images that people have seen. That just tells me that the devil's been using the same old tired bag of tricks for a long time. He's using it 2,000 years ago. He's using it today. Uh, so it's an acknowledgement that that's a perception that people have because they see things like this. But that doesn't mean the source of it is the spirit of some person who has died. So, uh, Roger, I want to toss this over to you because the next place we're going to talk about are seances and talking with the dead, this perception and this belief that we can go to some psychic or have some seance and we can actually communicate in the the great beyond. I hate to say it, Roger, but there's a lot of people believing that they're actually talking to a dead loved one. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed at the number of businesses that keep popping up all over the place, even in my neck of the woods here, where you drive by what used to be a, you know, a strip mall with a shopping a department store and supermarket, things like that. And there's a psychic you know, right there, too. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, a psychic right here in my hometown. This uh-huh. is a great topic of conversation. Let's take a break and we'll dig in a little deeper on the other side of this break. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Well, guys, this is a, a great topic of discussion, especially, you know, so close to Halloween. And Bob, your question before the break about seances and talking to the dead, um, I don't see, I mean, d- does that happen? Do are, are there people who are thinking that they're actually talking to people who are dead relatives and things of that nature? Um, deception is deception. I mean, obviously they're going to, but I also refer back to 1 Samuel 28, where, you know, where Saul looks out a medium and wants to co- consult with Samuel. Yeah, and which actually, you, yeah exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and so does that kind of thing happen? Yes. Obviously, does God look upon it with disfavor? Obviously. But what what does that look like to you guys in the 21st century in terms of people doing that? All a hoax? Do you really think that they're conjuring up these spirits and having these conversations? No. What do you, what do you think? Uh, what do you think there, John? I mean, you do. There is the witch of Endor. <laughs> yeah, let's ask let's John. Forward. Yeah. Let's put let's put the skeptic on the spot here. You know what? You got the transfiguration where Jesus appeared with Elijah and Moses. 
Moses. And so do you think some of these people in these seances might actually be talking to their dead loved no. ones? No, no, not, 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 I don't believe so at all. No, not a chance. I, I, I do believe there are just a, a really, if you look at scripture, a couple of instances where something along these lines happened. And as far as the psychic end of it goes, uh, the situation with Saul is really the only place that that even exists. And you have to wonder there what, what really, you know, even took place. And, uh, you know, I, I am, I am, this is one area where I am a total skeptic. I think it's a big, uh, scam. I think these people are doing nothing but extracting dollars out of individuals' pockets, and it's strictly that. I, I don't believe we can speak to the dead at all, period. All right. Now, and by the way, I'm with you. I don't believe we can speak to the dead uh, at all, but I don't know if I'm ready to say that it's all a scam because sometimes, well, most of it I honestly genuinely believe is, uh, and, and a lot of these psychics and seance people, whatever they're, they're they're on a fishing expedition. Oh, I sense somebody That's who right. uh, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, I'm talking to your departed husband. He was uh, he was a good man. Yeah, that's him. You can say mm. that about anybody. <laughs> right. okay. you can say anybody. You know, that's right? right. Uh, well, and, and real quick, and Bob, I want yeah. to add something to that too. I, I'm not saying that there aren't you know certain psychics that have you know uh, uh, you know that are possessed that don't have the ability to know more about your particular past because satan himself is actually doing the talking in that particular area i'm, I'm not going to say that and i'm not going to rule that out but as far as actual you know voices speaking to the dead and all of that no i, I don't believe in that whatsoever do i believe these psychics can have certain powers that are in, empowered by i mean did they sell their soul to the devil and he now speaking through them yeah that that I can that I can buy into. Yeah. What about though the the voices from the dead that we do here? Because there are times where and people will anecdotally uh, talk about those cases where they heard a voice or they saw an image of somebody who had died, and very often they'll say that this was a very comforting thing. The person's letting them know that they're okay. Or during the seance, somebody is uh, saying something that uh, has some insight, some specific insight that goes beyond what some psychic at the table should be able to figure out. Uh, th- I mean, there are some of these cases anecdotally that go uh, that seem to be beyond Neil uh, a fishing expedition what do we do with those I again I don't know exactly but I do know what the Bible says and that's my point of reference on something like this mm-hmm. uh, Psalm 146 says when when someone dies when their breath departs he returns yeah. to the earth on that day his plans perish uh, Ecclesiastes 9 I referred to it earlier but nevermore will that person share in anything done under the sun. So I, I don't think they're hearing from their loved ones in any way. Right. Are, are there stories in Scripture where people heard and saw things? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that in this day and age, people can actually see and hear things that are demonic in nature. And the devil's not stupid. He has some intelligence, but he's not all-knowing, and he's definitely not all-powerful. No. I would think that he would use anything he possibly could. And by the way, even some of you know world-famous magicians, if you think about it, get us to believe that we're seeing something that isn't actually happening. Right. I mean, I've, I've right. seen many well people said. sawn in two that I swear were sawn in two, mm-hmm. uh, but two minutes later they were fine, and we know physically that's not possible. So trickery right. and deception is very real, and the power of suggestion is very real. Yes. So yes. how the enemy might use that against us, 
I, I don't know, except that I know that he would want to if he could. What about the Neil, I want to jump in here if I can, you know, before we go further. Go, well, John, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Roger. Say something. Okay, no, well, okay. okay. My point was I have a pastor friend who 30 years ago, before he became a Christian, used to work in the – Neil referred to it. He was a magician. He used to go and do all the big amusement parks, and he could do all that type of stuff. And once he became a Christian, he thought, okay, well, gosh, I still have this talent. What do I do? He said, well, you know, I'm an illusionist. And so he started teaching you, know, you want to learn how to, you know, do the thing with the cards or the, you know, make the golf ball go away. He said, but I teach people and I preach at the same time and say, look, these are all illusions that mm-hmm. I'm doing here. I'm not, we're not sawing anybody in half. You know, we're not pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Mm-hmm. I'm making you believe that I'm doing right. that. Right. And so now that's a big part of his ministry is saying, look, this is what I used to do before I became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I love the, the, that, that, that reminder there that this is that magic that a lot of people think is real is actually an illusion. Right. And the thing I was going to add to to everything we're talking about too, guys, and this is where I just, again, I know I'm a skeptic and, and yet I also know that I do believe, and let me be be careful how I say this. I believe in the power of words in that Satan can't read minds. And I think this is one thing everybody forgets, even as Christians is they all tend to think that he knows what's going on in your mind. And the reality is he does not have the ability or the power to know what's in your mind. So he has to rely on what we're speaking. And I think that's why, as Christians, we need to be very careful about the things that we talk about, what we discuss, what we watch, where we're at, what we're doing. I mean, all of those things, I think, are tools that he then can use against us because ultimately he's there's a battle for our soul. That one I will, you guys, I, I believe in that one as the day is long. There is a battle for our soul on a daily basis, Whether and I believe whether you're saved or not, there's a battle for your soul going on mm-hmm. on a daily basis, and Satan will use anything in his power to deceive us and and to basically steal our soul. That's his goal: is to take take our soul with him to hell and not have us go to heaven and be with with Christ and God for the rest of you know for the rest of eternity. He does not want that. There is that spiritual battle going on daily. But again, I think it's important for Christians to realize that he's not a mind reader. So what we actually say and speak and do is the only thing he can hear us. And I'll be honest, guys, these are the kind of conversations that for me personally, I struggle with a little bit because I don't like talking about them because then I'm giving him credence for things I don't want to give him credence to. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, we're, and you're absolutely right. I guess we just got to make sure we don't go to one extreme or the other where suddenly everything is, hey, let's glorify the devil and, and make it all about him. Agree. You know? But Agree. at the same time, we don't want to go to the other extreme either, which is to deny the reality of sports, spiritual warfare and demonic Agreed. attack because that's one of the things that, that strengthens the devil's hand is if he can effectively camouflage himself and mask himself behind a bunch of other things. If he can get people chasing after ghosts and not realize that it's the devil, but it's really the devil in a Halloween costume playing a ghost, Agreed. or if it's the devil playing uh, you know, some of these other things, psychics, tarot cards, crystals and energy healings and just a whole bunch of the other kinds of manifestations that the devil will do. He's a master of disguise. So I I think to a certain extent, we got to find that healthy place between let's not glorify him, but on the other hand, let's put a spotlight on him so he's exposed and we've we've pulled the the curtain back on the wizard. No, and I agree. And the only thing I'm saying is I I do think as Christians, we have to be extremely careful what sort of 
uh, make sure that I say this correctly, you know, satanic things we become involved in. I'm not saying that every horror movie is from Satan, so please, guys, don't think that. I think there's some, you know, you know there's funny movies and things like that you can watch. But I will say this, that is the, the more of a stronger believer. I mean, I used to be a kid that had night terrors like no tomorrow. I mean, I had I had dreams like, like you can't imagine. I can't even remember some of them to this day, and they were just that. They were dreams. They were not reality. But But I also know that, you know, part of when I was a teenager, was watching pretty much any scary movie I possibly could, and I think in a way to try to get rid of some of those night terrors to realize that all that stuff was just not true. Now, I will also tell you this. I can't tell you the last horror movie I ever watched uh, in in my lifetime now as an adult and and as a a Christian just because, frankly, Guys, I just don't want to go down that path, and, and I'm again, I'm one of those people that I don't want to give Satan any kind of a stronghold whatsoever, especially in that particular realm. I know we're up against a break, guys. Let's do this. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about this. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. All right, guys, we're back. I'm going to throw it out to you guys and, and see. You know, I, I know I'm the ultimate skeptic. I, I'm not trying to be odd man out here, guys, but I, I just I think a lot of things that happen are both, you know, are, are all of what you guys have talked about. I think some of them can be from Satan, but I also think in some cases they're really just what's going on in somebody's mind and what they filled their mind with. And I think that's where you have to be careful. And Scripture's clear on this. You need to be careful with what you fill in your mind. Right. No, I think it's an excellent point, which, by the way, that kind of leads us to something in a couple of minutes, guys. I want to talk about the the haunted houses for entertainment and such. But before we get to that, there's one other thing I want to ask you guys about regarding the devil's M.O., and that is doing things that, at least on the surface, appear to be good and positive. Because I've talked to listeners to my show before they said, you know, Bob, in communicating with the dead or whatever, I heard from my dearly departed loved one, and this was a good and positive thing. It was a positive message. They were letting me know that they're okay and that they're in heaven, and if it was comforting and it was good fruit that was produced from this, then wouldn't that have been from God? Or the psychic who the police department hires to, what do you know, actually lead the police to where that child was being kidnapped and held. There have been actual bona fide documented cases of things like that, and I had somebody call into my show and say, do you really think the devil would be behind something that would produce good fruit? And my response is, uh, yes, if it's for an ultimate evil, he'll do temporary uh, good gains for a larger uh, loss, if you will. Hansel and Gretel's gingerbread house, it was uh, gingerbread, okay? That's good tasting stuff, but it's to lure people into uh, something that's much larger and evil. So I, I can see the devil doing some occasional short-term good things for a longer-term evil purpose on his part, and that is to lure people into a belief that God's word uh, is not true. But, I mean, Neil, I don't know. What do you think about the – there are accounts people have given, I've heard many times, of some psychic or some whatever, and it ended up being a good, positive thing that was done at that time. Does that mean it has to be from God? Absolutely not. And – you know, lo- lollipops and ice cream cones are nice things, and kids love them. But when pedophiles are giving lollipops and right. ice cream cones, yeah. well, children, exactly, exactly. 
for an evil purpose. And, you know, I, I totally agree with your assessment there, Bob, because otherwise you're left scratching your head like, how is it possible that something evil could be used for good? Well, there's there's one explanation, and, and really that's the only explanation I need. But on top of that, I just want to point out, you know, I don't even think – I'm not trying to be uh, legalistic here. I'm just saying I don't even think Christians should have a conversation about this or entertain the thought of, like, going to a medium because the, the Word of God has spoken on it. This is exactly. something that's very clear. You know, yes, Leviticus 19.31, give yes. no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Boom. Mic drop. You know what I mean? Like, the Lord right. spoke on it. Don't consult mediums and, you know, talk with spirits if it's even possible. So I, that's all the information I need to know that God says stay away from this kind of stuff. Right, so true. Which then begs the question, guys, what about the perceived harmless entertainment of this? There's, you know, there's haunted houses everywhere around this Halloween time. Uh, You pay some money, you go in there, and we all know that it's some people in there wearing masks to jump out from behind a wall, you know, and scare you and such, and a bunch of scary imagery, but we know that this is put on by a bunch of actors doing this. Uh, Roger, let me throw this to you. Is that harmless entertainment? Is that spiritually dangerous? Can Christians and should Christians go to the local community haunted house at this time of year for fun? I don't see how it could be anything but dangerous, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, back to John's part about having night terrors when you're younger and then going to, you know, sci-fi scary movies when you're a kid, maybe to try to exercise those demons. I'm not sure what the motive was, because when I had my night terrors when I was younger, the last thing I want to do is go see a movie like that. But why would we even entertainment? I mean, the the idea that, sure, you're going to get scared by something and that's kind of a thrill ride. Ride a roller coaster. I mean, there's so many other daredevil activities you can do to do something like that. I mean, at the essence of what we're talking about here, too, Halloween, by definition, and we'll unpack this a lot more next week, is All Hallowed Eve, the day before All Saints Day. I mean, if you really want to celebrate Halloween properly, from my Lutheran perspective, you're going to have costumes where there's saints conquering demons, and everybody knows the good guys win, and it's not fun, I mean, to sit there and go, I was scared by a demon. Rather, it's fun to say a mighty fortress is our God. So the idea that you would take your kids to a, you know, a place where they're going to wander through, and even if they are actors, and even if you try to explain to them, hey, this is, you know, it, it's all make-believe, and we're just making it up. I don't see how anything good can come of it. I, I'm, maybe I'm old-fashioned on this one, guys. I'd be curious to get John and Neil's take on it. John? Sure. No. Uh, no, Roger, I'm with you on that. I, I, uh, I just don't think it's one of those things that we should, you know, expose ourselves and especially expose our kids to. And I realize in a lot of cases they are actors and and I and, and by the way, I've I've known great Christians who have been uh, I, I know a good friend Christian and you guys are going to, you know, be astounded at this, but it's actually a guy that makes, you know, Halloween masks and does a lot of those things and of course the biggest time of the year for him is right now and they work, you know, 6 months out of the year just to be ready for Halloween and all of that. And so so I you know, I'm not saying that every single person that does those things is is involved in the demonic world because I would be wrong in saying so, but, but I do think it's one of those things you have to really be careful with. And again, I'm just one of those that, you know, fr- frankly, guys, I'm in business for myself. I'm scared every day. I don't need to go to a haunted house to actually have any kind of a thrill. I do that on a daily basis anyways, but I, I'm just not a guy that needs, you know, that extra thrill on Halloween. And I'm still a guy that is very cautious when it comes to the demonic world. And, and I, I just don't want any part of it, guys. Well, 
Think of it this way. Look what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now. And I, to, to me, that's uh, scarier than just about any of the Halloween stuff fact. I see going on. Totally. So, all right. So it sounds like we're in, in pretty much agreement here that this is not something that as Christians uh, we really ought to go down this road. And, Neil, I would like to get your take on this as well because there are some Christians who feel as though – uh, haunted houses and scary movies, and this is just fun entertainment, and my hope is in the Lord, and I know that this is all play acting. How do you respond? Okay, well, I was going to save this for next week when we talk about Halloween, but here we go. Mm. So same church I grew up in that wouldn't let us drink, dance, swear, smoke, play cards, or anything like that, had a thing called Operation Nightmare. And this was part of a, a larger church thing community-wide uh, where people would they'd bring teenagers, we'd have to walk through the woods and people would jump out with axes stuck in their head and stuff and then eventually get in front of a casket where a dim blue light was behind the dead guy in the casket. And then somebody would start speaking in the dark and they would start telling us about death and everything. And then eventually the guy starts getting out of the casket and the kids are freaking out and then they turn the lights on. And they say, ah, oh, it was just a hoax. We wanted to scare you. But if you were to die tonight, and then they tried to link people to the gospel. <laughs> right, and I got to right. tell you, I was the most confused person ever. Um, to dabble with anything like this, I think, is incredibly dangerous. And I think we need to be very cautious about having anything to do with stuff that relates to the demon world and all that. Uh, we'll talk more about it next week, I'm sure, when we're talking about Halloween. But this has been a fascinating conversation, Bob, and I'm just yeah. grateful that you brought it up and gave us a chance to address this stuff from a well biblical said. perspective. Definitely. definitely. Well, we, well we, we do need to let God's word be the authority in all of this. And we are going to talk about Halloween next week. We'll talk about the origins and uh, All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve and some of the pagan origins of the various trick-or-treat uh, kind of jack-o'-lantern type of things. But also asking a question, should Christians participate in Halloween? How do we look at this? Some Christians say, hey, let's reclaim the holiday for Christ, use it as a witnessing, witnessing opportunity. Some send their kids out as Bible characters in costumes. Other Christians are like, no, let's just shut out the lights and take the kids bowling. Uh, we're going to have this conversation in a lot of detail, all things Halloween, next week. And on behalf of John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line, Southern California, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco from the Bob Duco Show in Detroit. Gentlemen, great talking with you. Great conversation. And look forward to next week as well. We'll see you. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. You bet. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a biblical view of culture, current events, and politics. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.